Hello and welcome to the season finale of Diversity Ally, the podcast, where you can join me, Gabby, and my co-host, Ashanti, as we talk through how the year has changed for us, for the events industry, and how we call 2020 the year the events industry started talking about diversity and inclusion. So as the year draws to a close, Ashanti and I share some of our observations, some of the challenges we've seen, and also some of the highlights since we actually launched Diversity Ally, our consultancy, education and events business just six months ago, and it seems like an absolute lifetime ago. We'll also be sharing some exciting plans for 2021, so be sure to stay tuned until the very end. It's so nice to catch up with you as we're coming up to the end of the year. And I guess it'd be interesting to maybe share what we've been doing for the past like six months and what's been happening in the industry with regards to diversity and inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to believe that it's six months already. It's felt like a lifetime, hasn't it, really? <laughs> it has. It literally felt like when somebody mentioned it was six months, I was like, really? It feels like a year. Yeah, absolutely. Quickly, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, you know, there's something about the endurance piece as well, isn't it? You know, you've got to see it through. Yeah. You know, because it's been a long year. It really has a lot happening in that year as well. Mm, Yeah, it's very true. And you're right, it is about the endurance piece rather than it kind of like being a sprint. Um, to get to a finishing point it's that's not obviously what we're we're seeking to do so you're right and getting that that energy to continue with that in um the circumstances this year I think is something that we should be proud of <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's time to be setting up something new but it's also a great opportunity so yeah absolutely and also I think the time spent this year and and working with different clients and Mm. it's helped us to really see as well what the real challenges are Mm. yeah you know Mm. because I think it's 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 sometimes not until you start working quite closely with clients that you um start to really see you know what Mm. the real day-to-day challenges for stakeholders are so yeah it's it's been an interesting six months yeah but actually now shanti since you brought that up what do you think the the challenges that we've recognized organized organizations are having are you know i think um you know uh, so i think one of the big ones is deciphering where everybody is at within an organization how comfortable they are Mm -hmm. really talking about how happy or safe or included or valued or seen or heard they feel in the workplace you know everybody's in a different place you know there are lots of fears and concerns about finally voicing you know you know what your um, thoughts your true thoughts are um and so I think that's a big challenge as well and then you have maybe people within organizations who are very vocal you know they 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 and they have they within themselves they feel that they've got this as well 
Um, so, you know, I think that the dealing with that party in the workplace is not easy either because if you've got individuals who feel that they have got this, they understand it, it can sometimes inhibit those who don't feel like they're at that point. Yeah. So the, the, there's all of these dynamics and then of course there is the the overall, you know, the glaring challenge of COVID this year yeah. and how business leaders are having to manage those challenges mm. with also looking at things like wellness, sustainability and then diversity as well I think it's it would be remiss not to mention the fact that for a lot of leaders they feel that they're making choices mm. as to what initiatives strategies to focus on yeah that's true just going back to what you said about um the kind of comfortable comfortability I don't think that's a word but it's saying it's okay the comfortableness of having the conversations and I think what I've noticed is that um I think people are very much, very much behind making these changes. And I, I think that people feel they um, are quite comfortable talking about it because I guess they're comfortable talking about it in the overall kind of sphere. But then as soon as you kind of get into the, the work environment, they have to talk about it really openly with each other. It's sometimes a bit of a different story. So that that's kind of what I've noticed, um, which is not negative or positive. It's just an observation, I think. And it's interesting, the differences between, you know, saying that they've had the conversations maybe one-on-one with each other at work or yeah. in a diversity committee versus actually in a space, in a session or workshop situation with their peers. Um, and I wasn't expecting that. So that I found that really interesting. Obviously, that helps guide our work and our advice with them so you know it's all useful and interesting but I think that's yeah. um, I, I didn't expect to, to um, observe as much yeah yeah and also kind of following on from your point is that there is a need and a value in these kind of one-to-one and all very small groups of conversations yeah um and and you know I suppose the work that we've been doing has almost validated that mm. the a good strategy um, to be able to get people to open up so that companies can get the real data that they need in order to make the right decisions. You know, having large groups of people come together for the first time to talk about some of these things isn't necessarily the best way to do it, particularly in a virtual world. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we've experienced and observed while working with clients as well this year. Yeah, exactly. That's been a good kind of um, learning and observation. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And I think the other thing, isn't it, that we talked about recently was uh, the need for us within the way we do what we do to really show businesses with as many examples as possible uh, of that direct link between working on diversity and inclusion and then the benefits for their business. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And um, yeah. I think very much got the moral stance, kind of they get it, they understand it, and they're like, right, yeah, we know morally this is correct, but the vision towards actually how this can benefit organisations is still yeah. a little bit of a gap yeah. in kind of understanding there. Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. You provide those, those answers because each organisation is going to be different, number yeah. one. Number two, as we know, the events industry didn't have much data or statistics around this in the first place. Yes. So uh, um, working out a starting point um, has really only kind of just begun in, in some ways. And as, as I said, all, uh, different organisations 
have yeah. different needs and different expectations. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And also the fact is if you've got, I mean, most businesses, especially the ones who've just been funded, um, you know, and ones that have grown to a good size, you know, in their private businesses, often they do have commercially minded individuals sitting around the table in the board or on the board and in these, you know, decision maker teams. And so I think it's going to be really important in 2021 to really be able to demonstrate to companies and enabling even the stakeholders within an organisation who are you know, championing these initiatives to be able to communicate and clearly convey what the commercial benefits will be, because the moral case by itself doesn't seem to be enough mm. to move organisations to invest in this work. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah. So the other things that we've been up to this year then um, is uh, all of the events that we've spoken to, uh, spoken at or supported. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that been fantastic. It's been amazing that we've been able to have our voices heard, have the industry there as a, as a captive audience and listening and offering ideas, support. Um, yeah, I think that's been really positive for the industry and, and for us as yes. chief um, business owners yeah. and advocates who are trying to make change in the industry. So I've, I've enjoyed it. I mean, mm. you know, it's not my, it's not my favourite thing. But <laughs> I, I, I love it once I've done it. It's just that it's the lead up. Um, yes. <laughs> I know that like, you feel differently because you're quite comfortable doing that. But um, it's mm. been a learning for me and a challenge for me to um, to increase kind of levels of confidence and skill in that area. And that's all yeah. That's growth and uh, yeah. positive. It's growth, but yeah. Well, I mean, what I'm trying to think. We've spoken about so many, haven't we? I'm trying to think. I know, I know. But you know what? It has been. I mean, I was just thinking though, because I like you know, you just touched upon like learning an area of growth for you. I think for me, it's been um, ducks, you know, really reducing speed and expectations. Mm. of stakeholders within organizations you know that's been the thing for me that I've heavily really worked on is especially when it comes to the events industry and I think also the marketing industry mm. um hospitality industry these are industries that are not as evolved in having the conversation about diversity and inclusion particularly not when it comes necessarily to organizational change because the dynamics of these companies are quite different and yeah. so for me, my, my, my consistent learning piece is to um, manage expectations of stakeholders, manage expectations of myself even. Mm, yeah. Yeah, true. I think that's why as we've been working with um, clients this year, actually, the partnership piece is really starting to make sense about how we partner up with the organizations we're working with so we're able to support them in between those kind of activities specific activities whether that's delivering workshops or sessions or working with them on collecting their data and analyzing their data i think what we're starting to realize is that their the conversations in between are just as important yeah and so that's why i think we've started noticing that partnerships is definitely Yes, a, a, way, a way to go, I would yeah. say. Um, yeah. That's an interesting uh, observation and learning for 
for this year too yeah i think you're right on that and i you know the reality is is that you can't just parachute in deliver mm-hmm. one workshop and it changed anybody's world. It's just not the reality. Mm. Uh, and so that's why you're right. You know, having us as a resource that an organisation can come to, drop an email, ask to jump on the phone when a policy is being written or something needs to be done. What is the, the, the right diverse lens or how can we be more inclusive in making this decision or creating this campaign or going about this recruitment? And And so... Yes, a partnership, it tends to be much more, let's honest, be honest as well, transformative, but also cost effective for mm. a client to go with a partnership. Otherwise, you're literally paying for time. And that's not really what we want to do. We want to be partnering with companies who, who want to make the changes. Mm. And embed, embed that in yeah. businesses. You know? Yeah. 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 And, so that's really uh, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really has. It definitely has. Um, well, actually, going back to, um, again, I love putting you on the spot. <laughs> speaking at events, what has been your like top um, panel or speaking engagement that you've had this year with regards to Diversity Ally? That's an interesting one, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about it yet myself, so I wouldn't expect to be seeing that immediately. But. Yeah, I think... Hmm. Do you know what wasn't interesting was was probably the PPA, so the Independent Publishers Association. Hmm. We actually had 90 people sign up. So in terms of their members, they've got, I think it's just over 100. It was the first year they took their conference virtual. 90 of those people who registered for the event actually registered for our session. Wow. And 50 people turned up live and our session was the most engaged session in terms of attendance and also um that's it attendee participation and interaction and that was quite interesting because our session was pre-recorded so even though we were live in the Q&A section the actual session was pre-recorded and so we had very good engagement from that industry um, obviously closely connected to the events industry. So I think that was the most interesting one for me to observe the questions that came through and the fact that so many people turned up. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm, good yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, I only just, it's funny, I only just saw those stats like two days ago. I think it was just before the weekend. Um, we managed to finally get some sight over um, the engagement for that particular session. Yeah, and you're right, it is about that engagement piece, isn't it? Because, you know, it's all well and good us kind of popping up and delivering an education piece that I think, you know, it's much more enjoyable, um, inspiring, um, challenging when people are engaging in the Q&A or writing in the comments or asking questions. That's when you feel like you're really starting to to make a difference and start moving the needle, as you know, as we like yeah. to say. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's the key. Where you're coming from, from there, because engagement is important, and that that factors into sessions that we might deliver, and um, virtually with our workshops as well. When people are engaging, you feel like everyone's getting more from mm. the scenario, don't you? Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing, I guess, as well as a as a around, you know, something that's happened this year is that you know it's really challenging to 
the work we do isn't quite simply about doing some research, turning up and, you know, sharing some slides. You're dealing with real people's emotions. And that includes CEOs, that includes HR leads, that includes all of the stakeholders that maybe prior to that particular workshop or meeting or training, they've not really even expressed to their employees how they really feel about certain things and certainly not to the whole workforce at once. And so there's a lot of labor that comes from us mentally Mm. as well as intellectually to hold space for all of these emotions that come out ultimately, whether it's in a private one-to-one conversation or in the group situation. And that I think is something that maybe isn't entirely understood all of the time by clients. It's, it's not, this work is not just about, you know, head knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And ticking boxes and going, right, we completed that section done. Like it's the end of a, a game on an app or something like that. We go, right, we've done level one, tick, everyone's done it. I mean, it doesn't work, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work yeah. like that at all. Yeah, so we have to, as you're saying, we have to, like, like you said, hold the space in those scenarios. And if somebody wants to spend 10 minutes talking about one particular mm. episode, just like progressions or something, we hold the space for that. But let's say, right, so we're moving on now to uh, the next part of the workshop. It's not about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like expectations. <laughs> yeah, it's funny actually as well because I saw a post on LinkedIn by another, you know, it was from a, an individual who works in diversity and inclusion. And one of the points, you know, she made about the chances of success or positive impact on an organization from doing this work are really in, in, in affected by whether or not they let us do the work. So, you know, sometimes you can't go into organisations to talk about organisational change, talk about culture, all of these things, and they tell you how it needs to be done, which is quite ironic because they're investing in your expertise. And so, you know, we may make some recommendations after doing the assessment, speaking to employees, etc., and bringing our knowledge to to the to the to the project and. But, but those things could be ignored completely or organisations set the boundaries from the beginning that, oh, we want to do things in the way we've been doing it for years, but the results aren't what they want them to be. And I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. um, because it is very true. And I think that's another thing as well for us in 2021 is really being quite firm mm-hmm. about the reason why things are best done in a certain way. Yeah. so that organisations understand what the transformative value will be and they actually get value. Yeah. But okay. those conversations, again, not always easy, you know, with stakeholders who um, believe that they know how mm. things should be done. Mm. Yeah, very true, very true. What else have we done this year? Our guide. Yes. Yeah. Our guide, yeah, which has been downloaded hundreds of times, which is, Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I found it useful, which yeah. is great. If anybody who's listening has actually downloaded the guide, we would love to get your feedback. So, you know, just drop a shanty or a message at the end or whatever and give us your feedback. And if there was something else you would have liked included in the guide or how, if you'd like a follow up guide, what you'd like to be in, in that. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, I think what we wanted to do with the guide was really cover um, our five benchmark pledges. Um, that 
organizations can kind of commit to mm-hmm. we know will help them make changes in the different areas whether that is recruitment and hiring um, talent development company culture all of that and give them ideas and little recommendations so they can at least get started on that journey and I think um, that's really been appreciated by those yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and this is, you know, um this is um the thing. You know, the guide is a great starter pack to look into and really think to yourself, okay, where are we at? It's completely free to download as well, which is also helpful. Um and I think the areas in it, especially if you're in marketing, if you're in PR, if you're in events or hospitality, I think one of the sections that I think is quite interesting is the supply chain mm. section, mm. because we talk about it being a quick win quite often for companies when it comes to diversity and inclusion. But it's one of the ones that's least talked about, um, ironically, of them all. So I think that is a great benchmark that we cover in the guide. And I know for some of the events we've spoken at that have been very venue-based, for example, mm-hmm. um, they particularly appreciated that section in the guide. Yeah, you're right there. You're totally right. And reflecting back on um, sessions and work that we delivered this year, a, an area that has really been kind of flagged as key in this in this work that we're doing with organizations i'd say it's definitely the company culture piece mm. i feel like um the events industry and community is a really great community and people are very supportive of each other 100 percent. we can see that we've seen that through the pandemic etc but then when you start delving a little bit deeper I think people start realising that, hang on a minute, we've not really discussed this properly. We've not really really been open with um, how we train and develop people, how we promote people, um, how we pay people, if there are pay gaps and things like that. And I think that company culture piece is is coming to the forefront. And that is a lot of what people are are discussing Mm -hmm. and flagging within our sessions in areas that they kind of want to, to talk about. Um, I think because everyone felt like, right, we get on, we get on really well, we're a really good team, we've got great team spirit, which they do, but then on a deeper level, there's like, right, okay, but we haven't actually addressed this openly yet. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is the thing, you know, you and I both know the private chat is often very interesting when we are delivering workshops because people will say things in the private chat that they won't necessarily say in, in the group in a holistic way. Mm. Um, and I, I think also to that point, there's something that organisations need to think about and ask themselves. You know, if you're in a situation, you know, where you find that when you have these lessons or trainings and, and then you're then it's like, oh, you know, people aren't really participating, ask yourself why. Yeah. Because quite often the immediate reaction is, oh, it's because it's virtual, it's because it's on Zoom or it's because it's on Teams. And actually, I don't think that that's always the reason for the lack of interaction and engagement. Because, mm. you know, I know you and I, you know, when we get on Zoom, <laughs> we still talk as normal, right? Because, you know, it's not going to be Zoom entirely that is the reason why I might not be participating in a conversation that might be difficult. Mm, agree you know because in many ways you know having people there face to face having a conversation for the first time could be awkward you know and may inhibit people more so I think sometimes organizations have to be willing to go a bit deeper and Mm. think about why on the surface it seems like individuals don't have anything to say 
Mm, yeah, agreed. And like you said, the chat is very interesting. But even in the chat, it's still kind of like it's people who feel like they've got something to say but are not necessarily comfortable saying it out in the public forum. But again, it's you have the same people speaking kind of up front, out to everyone on Zoom, and then you have the same people also messaging. So it's interesting that you've got, yeah, it's interesting that you just have like two sets of people who want, who kind of are speaking out and then the others that aren't engaging. Even when you've got private scenario in the private chat, people are still um, maybe slightly hesitant to to share their thoughts for whatever. Yeah. And like you said, that's about, yeah, business leaders and all um, business leaders and managers and so that need to think about what why that is. Why that is, exactly. And I think that's the thing. Mm, exactly. We need a bit more, you know, we need people who are willing to be a little bit more honest, I believe, and go deeper and really delve into why individuals. And, and here's the thing, if you have, for example, a predominantly white male force, heterosexual male force, able male uh, workforce, sorry, mm. you know, and still people are finding it difficult to have a conversation with people who on the outside appear to be the same as them. Mm. that shows you there's work to be done because then it can't all be if you're all the same and you're all happy this should be a doddle conversation yeah (laughs) and it's not because we're all individual human beings Mm. even if we appear to be the same and so I think that is a that that is a sign we need and of course that's our role is to support stakeholders to be able to have those very difficult conversations with the board and with other senior managers and say actually no we need to do this in smaller groups Mm. we need to be willing to really think about why don't we have any women on the board why don't we have any women in management why don't we have younger people in the organisation? Mm-hmm. Why don't we have any disabled persons, whether they're invisible or visible, in our organisation? We have to be able to ask, we have to really delve into the why. Yeah. You know, why don't we? What's mm-hmm. our responsibility in this? And not rely on or resort to talking macro, abstract, holistically. Oh, there's not enough you know, diversity in the industry as a whole. So where can we really, you know, recruit from? Those kind of abstract conversations, which quite frankly can be endless circles. Yeah, yeah. years. Yeah, yes, exactly. Which is, I think, I felt those were the conversations we were having on when we were, not conversations, when we were on panels or delivering online kind of sessions at shows and things like that. That was definitely the the overall conversations that we're having. But I feel like we're, We've moved past that point now, yes. and now we really, as you said, we really need to dig deep and get into the why, because yeah. otherwise nothing will change. We're just going to go around in circles. With, yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. But why is <laughs> exactly? Yeah. 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 And you know, if you think about it, we've, we've talked to a lot of events companies, you know, who have women in the organisation. Mm. So is it is is it a requirement that you recruit externally? What about internally promoting women who are already in your organisation mm. into senior positions and then making sure that they're paid equally for mm. the job that they're doing? So sometimes there's not a whole strategy needed really behind this. You've got women there who are qualified if they need to be trained and developed so that they meet the competency level of someone who can sit on a board or of someone who can be a director of then invest in that development in them 
as opposed to thinking that you need to invest in an apprenticeship scheme or a mentoring scheme for, you know, people who are not going to be of an age to come into the industry for quite some time. Why not just invest in the existing team that you have so that you can change uh, the diversity within the organization far quicker? Yeah, so true. And that investment piece as well covers so many areas you're right it's investing in your people but also if you are looking to do this sort of work you've really got to think about whether you have the time and and not just the time but whether you are actually ready to invest proper money in this it's not a case of like we're going to drop a few grand on a a couple of workshops and then it's all sorted you've really got to think okay but once we've once we've kind of been through um, the kind of assessment process, once we've done these workshops, what what happens from there? Do we have money and time to continue with this investment? Because it's not a one-time investment. So you buy a bike and you need to pay for repairs. You buy a car, you need to do an MOT. You know, it's not, you don't just buy the car and hope it's going to last forever. So I think that's the investment side and the investment piece as well is something that is worth looking at yeah and you know what really good analogy there i think you know to carry on with that you know generally speaking you have to always be turning over the motor in your car as well right so you can't just buy a car and just leave it parked on your drive Mm -hmm. and i think this is back to our point about the partnership piece there's a lot of decisions that are happening within organizations projects and initiatives that actually if a diverse and inclusive lens was taken it would improve the success of it being bought into by stakeholders, by managers, and by employees. And it would also have a bigger impact. It would meet more of its objectives if you took that lens. And I think that's the thing. You can't regard this in isolation as a thing to do. It does need to impact, or it does already impact, actually, most of the way you conduct your business, the way you operate as a business. Yeah. In general. Yeah, exactly. And it can't just be a case of... um, well, our clients are going to be looking for this at some point in the future to we'll make sure that we <laughs> that we look like we've been doing the right thing, and then that we we hire a few diverse speakers on panels, and and there we go, and then we've got a few kind of faces of colour in our marketing materials, and think that that's kind of our clients are going to think that that's. Mm, mm, um, mm, so we need to get past that kind of surface. Yeah, yeah. As well, which we, which we are, which we are. And as we're talking to people, are coming to these conclusions themselves anyway. Yeah. At the initial stage of getting, having this conversation and getting them to really, really dig deep. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, look, you know, if you want to win a pitch, because we know loads of companies are putting pitches out and proposals. Yeah. You know. But if you on that team in those meetings, in those business development calls, you actually have a team member of the generation you're trying to appeal to, for example, and they have had input, their insights have been included in that pitch. That's going to have a far bigger impact on the potential client than having a room full of people who don't meet the demographic at all, you know, talking about what they've heard or read. You know, there's the, this is the next year in particular, 2021, businesses that want to make consistent money um, in the middle of what is a pandemic and that is still going to continue next year, um, they, you you have to build trust and it has to be organic. It needs to be, I hate to use the word authentic. If we don't want to use that word, it has to be sincere. Yeah, yes. Right? It has to be sincere ultimately in terms of what value you can offer that client. 
Yeah. And so I think that is why even more so there's a great reason to think about the way you do things um, rather than just think about how can we just put a workshop on, put something on the internet and hope for the best. Yeah, very true, actually. Very true. And as an industry, I think because we are so often our workload is quite high and we're turning over projects after project after project, pitches, event delivery, and it's ongoing. And there isn't often loads of time to be able to sit down and contemplate stuff like Mm. we have now. And then I feel like sometimes what happens is that event organisations just kind of like copy each other. So just do like a little bit of the plagiarising of going, oh, so-and-so hosted this. Um, like it worked quite well. Let's just copy what they yeah. did rather than actually going, okay, what's right for our business? What's right for our clients and our stakeholders? Yes. Um, yeah. 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 I know, I, you know, I've been there. I've been in the industry working in venues, even B2C events. And I know that's what happens. It does because I know time is short. Money, you know, you have a budget you're working with, totally get it. But um, we're so creative and we should be using that creativity and drive and energy that we give to other stuff. And yeah. yeah, to your point, just lastly, about the busyness aspect, that, that is a big thing mm. and so true. And I think, therefore, um, this is why sometimes finding the time for workshops and training is tough. And that's why actually having a partnership where you can call or email us and say, hey, we're doing this now. We're doing this tomorrow or next week. What should we be aware of? Or this is where I'm lost. Mm -hmm. That can be far more useful and effective than us trying to figure out to schedule these large workshops that you have to get everybody on the call for. And then there's heightened expectations. In actual fact, we could just do the work with you. Yeah. You know, for some clients, a workshop might be needed. Don't get me wrong. But actually, I think a lot of the times it's the ear that they need. It's 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 the advice, the guidance and the convenience of having that available and accessible. That is going to be key. So it's something for organisations to think about in 2021. Mm, You're right. And just finally, as well, um, another thing that I'm excited about is for 2021 is not only our events that are coming up our round tables and um, diversity events awards etc but also our cbd accreditation i think it's going to be um really interesting and exciting development for for us and for the industry um that they can do this work and also get cbd accreditation towards that um so i'm looking forward we're working all of all the modules now um i'm really looking forward to us producing that and getting that I know it should be fun it should be fun it's good that's kind of a roundup really of the important stuff really isn't it yeah exactly well Merry Christmas everybody if you're listening just before (laughs) (laughs) good luck for 2021 yeah and thank you very much for joining us this year we really appreciate you listening taking the time continuing to support us so that's it for season one isn't it the one is done Oh, 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 oh,